Well, good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We are going through the book of Mark, and we are asking this question uh, about the gospel of Mark. As, as Mark's trying to describe Jesus, we're asking the question, so who is this man? What is he like? Can we learn who God is through watching Jesus? Jesus was God. And today the message is a message for the irredeemable. The irredeemable. Mark chapter 1 talks about how the Jesus came preaching. And this is what he said. He came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus is saying, I just want you to know this is a change point in all of history. The, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he goes on and he gives an instruction. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is an amazing proclamation. And the question is, is this really for everybody? Are there people that are irredeemable, kind of beyond the pale? Um, have you ever felt like you are broken beyond repair? Have you ever felt like you're stuck in your sin, your failure? I mean, it, it grinds within you. I just don't think everything is the way it should be, but I just don't think there's very much hope for me. I don't know if God would even entertain me. These are painful, heavy feelings. Sometimes they feel like condemnation and hopelessness. Is God really, does he really mean this when he declares to everybody, repent for the, and believe the gospel? Well, today we're gonna look at Mark as he talks to us about meeting a man whose name was Levi. Now, we're gonna see how Jesus would treat one of the most hated, cruel betrayers of that area. Jesus speaks to him. It reminds me of a story that Cindy has told about her daddy. Her daddy, Bob Hughes, went to the Philippines as a missionary in the 50s. That was a long time ago. And the Philippines was a very different place than it is today. If, if you think Phil, the Philippines is backward, think again. Pull up some pictures on Google of the skyline of Manila. It's incredible. We don't have anything close to that in Springfield, let me just say. But way back in the day, it was a very different story. And so Cindy's daddy decided he was going to go to one of the islands separate from where he was. He was going to travel to Mindanao in the Philippines and he was going to speak and preach and then encourage a pastor who was starting a church there. Now, to get to that place, he had to fly to the island. Then he had to take a bus. And then he would have to walk in the jungle for a few kilometers to get to where he was going. So it wasn't an easy trip. On his way home, as he was walking back through the jungle to get to the spot where the bus could pick him up, they saw a Nipah hut. A Nipah hut, Google it. You can find out what it looks like, okay? I'm really promoting Google today, apparently. Um, but a Nipah hut, it was all lit up. And this was quite unusual because there was no electricity in that area. Bob and his traveling companion, as they saw this lighted Nipah hut in the distance, realized that probably someone had died because the custom was when someone died, 
to leave them in their bed and then surround the bed with lighted candles. And so the house lit up in the dark jungle night. So Bob Hughes said, I think someone has died there. We should go and talk to them. I want to go and share the gospel with them. And his companion said, no, Pastor Hughes, we shouldn't go there. That is actually the house of the one-armed bandit. This man is so dangerous and violent, and he steals for a living. And I don't think it's a good idea for us to go there. We don't know what would happen. He could be very dangerous. But Bob Hughes was not willing to take no for an answer. He said, but who knows? Maybe this is the time. His wife had just died, that he would listen. And so he insisted, and they went over to this lighted Nipah hut. Can you imagine, in the dark, in the jungle, on Mindanao, this, this foreigner walks up to a very dangerous man's house, and he offers to, to talk to this guy. He asks if he could sit down and talk with this guy. And, the, and this guy was called the one-armed bandit, because he had lost his arm in one of the violent raids that he was a part of. So Bob Hughes goes in and sits with the one-armed bandit, and he tells him, I just want to tell you something. God loves you, and Jesus would forgive you of your sin if you'll ask him. And this one-armed bandit heard the story it was like it was a divine appointment in a moment of intense grief and loss. And he prayed with Bob Hughes and accepted Christ. And then he got up and continued to walk through the dark jungle to get to his bus stop. A few years later, Bob Hughes went back to Mindanao, back to the same church that he had gone to preach at, and this time, it was a pastor's meeting. And after he was done preaching, a pastor approached him and said, Pastor Hughes, do you remember me? You came to my house the night my wife died. I'm the one-armed bandit, but I'm not a bandit anymore because after that experience, I went to Bible school. And I actually have started a church in the mountains with one of the tribal groups. And now I'm the one who is preaching the gospel to people. You know, Bob Hughes was a man of great courage. And he believed with all of his heart that this gospel that Jesus preached about was for everybody. Nobody was beyond the pale. Where would he get this idea? Well, he probably has read the, I know he read the gospel, so I just know it. And we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter two, I mean, Mark chapter two, beginning in verse 13, and there are three things we're gonna look at that are kinda gonna provide hooks for us to hang our thoughts on here today. The first thing is that Jesus speaks to Levi. And then secondly, he goes to eat with Levi and friends, and third, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders who protest that this holy, supposedly holy rabbi was eating with sinners, which says a whole lot about these religious leaders. So the first thing is he speaks to Levi. Then when he, then he went out again 
by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. Very small sentence, full of information. And he he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So Jesus is preaching once again with Peter, Andrew, James, and John by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looks over and sees Levi, who is a tax collector. Now, it is very likely that these four guys, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they knew Levi. It's very, very, very possible because he collected taxes in their city. He, he taxed the fishermen. I mean, they even know his last name and who his father was. He was the son of Alphaeus. But you see, they hated him. Because people hated tax collectors. Tax collectors were traitors to their people. They were ruthless and cunning. They had purchased the right and authority to tax their own people from Rome, and they could maximize their income by being creative in their taxation. They had to remit a certain amount to Rome, but they could keep the rest. And what made this so difficult was that they were, they were not Romans. They were Jews. They were their friends. They were from their, their, their towns. Levi hurt his own people. They were betrayed, not by a foreigner, but by a brother and a friend. These tax collectors would look at their look their countrymen in the eye using the power of Rome and take all they could from them. Imagine what it was like to be taxed by someone from your own town. And then they, they acted like they didn't care as they watched your business fail. These were not good people. These people did not have compassion. By the very nature of being a tax collector, you had to be a little bit hard-nosed, ruthless, and without a conscience. No, no remorse. Tax collectors were actually excommunicated from the synagogues. and They couldn't worship God with everybody else. You know what that's saying? That's saying, oh, you've, you've crossed the line. A tax collector is actually irredeemable. God's not interested in you. It's a done deal for you. You are outside of the grace of God. He doesn't even want to see you worship. Now, I wonder what Levi was thinking as he watched Jesus. He heard Jesus preach. He looked over at Peter and James and Andrew and John, and he noticed how their lives had changed. They walked away from their family fishing business to follow this man. I'm sure he, had take, take, he took notice of that. Well, good for them. They were redeemable. Maybe they weren't perfect, but they apparently were still within reach, but not Levi. The message of his people, even his own personal evaluation of what a, what a man he was made him feel like there was no hope. And then Jesus does something. He walks up to the tax collector's table and he leans over and he whispers something. 
to Levi. You know, growing up with my five, my kids growing up, five kids, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's crazy. It's hard. It's expensive. But anyway, I, I, it was so funny because anytime I would like lean over to Cindy, for those of you who don't know who that is, that's my wife, and I would, I would start to whisper something to her, the noise of the children would disappear and they would all lean forward. And I would say to them, Stop it. You know what the first sin was? Trying to know what you weren't supposed to know. Adam and Eve ate the tree that was the knowledge of good and evil. You, you're, in a, you're in a wrong place here, kids. Back up. You don't have to know everything. You can't know everything. So Jesus leans over to say something to Levi. I can just imagine Peter saying, guys, come on, let's, I can't wait to hear this. I bet Jesus is about to let him have it. And to his surprise, Jesus does not scold or berate Levi. He issues an invitation. And he says to Levi, Levi, follow me. What? These disciples are thinking, are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you know what that's going to do to your reputation? You know what that's going to do to our reputation? I mean, good, upstanding Jewish men are not caught in the presence of tax collectors. These are evil men who have betrayed our people, who have hurt our people, who have bankrupted our businesses. What in the world? I can't believe Jesus is doing this. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus says, Levi, follow me. You know, I do think it's important to notice that I think a lot of people get it wrong when they feel like, well, I'm, I'm, I've heard people tell me this, well, pastor, I want to be saved, but I've got things to fix before I can be saved. And the truth is, no, you don't. No, actually, you can't. The only thing you need to do is just hear his invitation and stand up just as you are and follow him. He will lead the change. He will do his work. A work you can't do, and that's why you need a savior. Secondly, Jesus goes to eat with Levi and his friends. Once again, I can just see, I, I don't know why I always think Peter's the one who's freaking out because he's the, he's the more verbose one. You know, you, we know what he's thinking. Peter is, is, is thinking, he says, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many and they followed him. And so can you imagine them going to Levi's house, sitting down to begin a meal, and all of a sudden, all of Levi's buddies start coming in, and Peter is thinking, oh no, this is going from bad to worse. It was bad enough to be sitting with one tax collector. Now look at all of these people that are here. This is getting worse by the minute. Verse 
But Jesus wants to eat with tax collectors and sinners. He's not afraid of you soiling his reputation. Because that's impossible. But Jesus knows if I sit with sinners, I can tell them they're not irredeemable. I can reiterate the good news that the kingdom of God is here. This inflection point in human history is now. And if they will repent and believe the good news, their lives will be changed. Lastly, Jesus now speaks to the religious leaders. When the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with them, they, um, they were pretty shocked. They would not dare cross the threshold into the house of a tax collector and be in the presence of other sinners. No. The whole rituals of righteous living, the rules, the regulations, and the traditions were all about staying away from those kind of people. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be seen going in to his house, but they couldn't resist observing what was going on. And then they, they say this. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? You know, the way the world thinks, um, the mighty and the rich and the influential, that's who you want to eat with. I mean, the message is often to the world, the poor, the uneducated, the unconnected, eh, you don't really matter all that much. You know, I can't say this in the second service because my son will be here, but my son James is a young man with Down syndrome. And he's part of a musical theater group. And he had a performance yesterday. And the teacher of this group is such a masterful woman. It's adults with varying different disabilities. There are the blind. There are the deaf. There are the autistic. There are those who aren't defined. And this teacher very carefully crafts a performance in which every one of them, whatever ability they have, even if it's just saying their name out loud in a mic, which for some is an incredibly difficult accomplishment. But she finds a way to give them all apart. And they have funny looking little props. James is wearing a sparkly blue cap. He's doing some really great dance moves with great, great enthusiasm. And as I sat there, as I do all the time, when I'm good to these things, I'm captivated by the, by the blind girl who sings so beautifully, but can't see us. But here's when we applaud, and she just is ready to explode with the joy. She gave something that was appreciated. This one guy 
inspires me all the time. He is deaf. And as I, as I watch him, he's looking around because he can't hear anything. He has to very carefully and expertly manage the cues, the visual cues, so carefully to participate, and he does. And I'm here to say, you know what the good news is? Everyone in the kingdom matters. How dare you say that a tax collector and sinners don't matter. Jesus goes on. He says, I actually have come for them. You know, uh, in the history of our nation, there was a powerful evangelist by the name of George Whitfield, and unlike um, most preachers of his day, he came over from England, and the established churches would not allow him to preach. Didn't have the right credentials or, or connections, so he would hold outside meetings. He refused to wait for an invitation to preach at the local parishes, so he decided he would take the message to the people. And George Whitfield was an amazing orator. And he, when he crossed the Atlantic to the American colonies, he drew great crowds who came to hear his dynamic preacher. In one year, Whitfield traveled 5,000 miles through America, preaching more than 350 times as he traversed the nation north to south. south. An estimated 25,000 people gathered on the Boston Common to hear him preach. Another 12,000 heard him in Philadelphia and 8,000 in New York City. I mean, he actually became America's first celebrity because before he left, he had spoken to the majority of Americans all across the nation. The name George Whitfield was known by many people right up there with the names of kings and royalty. But he preached outside to the common man. Now, we're, we're talking a time when they, these, new, these, these colonial guys and women, they came from a country where there were lords and ladies, and then there were commoners. Now, just to get a picture of this, go watch an episode of Downton Abbey. Now, I had not watched Downton Abbey, but I decided to watch an episode so I would know what in the world people were talking about. And it's, it's this extravagant portrayal of the lords and ladies and their servants all dressed up in tuxedos every day of their life. Can you imagine how awful that would be? Um, and everybody stayed in their roles. And you didn't, you didn't step out of your class strata. But Whitfield had a message that went like this. Everyone needs to come to the cross. The lords, the ladies, the nobility, the common people, the farmers, at the base of the cross, we are all leveled. We are the sick who need a savior. And he preached this everywhere he went. 
And so, uh, Eric Metaxas in his book, If You Can Keep It, says that it was probably George Whitfield who most influenced the values and ideas of Americans before America was established. The idea of this quote that maybe you've heard of before flows out of this concept preached by George Whitfield that all are level at the cross. Have you ever heard these words? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their, endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm not suggesting that that line is in in the, in the gospel necessarily, but for sure, it is true that everybody is within reach. That was the story of Levi. When Jesus heard that the religious leaders were complaining, this is what he said to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, the great thing about Levi was this. He knew he was sick. He knew he was a sinner. Levi was an embarrassment to his family and hated by his own people. He would get rich all alone and then die all alone, and his life would be a meaningless disaster. Sick? Levi was here to say, I'm so sick, I need a physician. Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. Well, that's me, if it's anyone. So if Jesus is willing to step into my life, and invite me from behind the desk of my tax collecting. I sure need him. And yes, I will follow. Here's our question. Do you need help? Do you need a change in your life? Do you need someone bigger and more powerful and more holy to come and help you? I mean, what is it that you need help with? What are the things that take up time and help you not be able to think and feel like everything's okay? We've got a laundry list of things that are common to all of us. I mean, is it drinking? Is it it you work too much and you work so much because as long as you keep working, you don't have to feel your brokenness. This scares you to death. Are there habits in your life? You can't stand silence, so... You always have the the radio or the TV blaring. Do you binge Netflix? Because at least while you're all engaged in the Netflix binging, you don't have to be with yourself. You don't have to hear the silence and hear the, the thoughts and feelings that flow out of your soul. Is there someone that could take you and heal you and save you? And Jesus says, I can. I will. I am not grossed out by your sin. I don't approve of it. 
but I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. This is what Jesus said. This, you know, we, we learned about the leper. People were afraid to touch him because they might get infected. And now we, we learn about this man who was hated. They didn't want to come around him because they couldn't stand him. And Jesus says, I will. In fact, Levi is in your Bible. His name is also Matthew. And he says, I got to tell you the story of a man who changed my life. I was the one-armed bandit that didn't deserve any help. And then Jesus came and leaned over and whispered. And all he said was, follow me. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. From when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Every single day, there is this open invitation for all of us.